0: We're pretty obsessed with the investor experience, like once they're actually in a deal. But I think it is frustrating for investors when we've had all these conversations and then we launch a deal and it fills up immediately. And I get texts from people that have been in our deals for years and like, oh man, I didn't check my email. Like, are are there any spots? And the answer is no. And you're like, well, that's, that's not a great experience. But hey, man, I'm on the hook for raising $10 million for this deal that's like moving fast you know, it's, it's it's hard to balance the, it you is. know, getting an investor position for everybody that wants one. I mean, plain and simple, they're first come first serve and they're going to oversubscribe and fill up. And I think
1: that's helped us get deals done. Listen, everybody, we all know that real estate is the most proven way to build wealth, but why isn't everyone wealthy from real estate then? It's hard to know where to start and most of the education out there is just complete trash and you end up investing your money on a series of courses instead of in real estate. That's not how this podcast works. We give you the blueprint to successful real estate investing and bring on guests actually willing to share their secrets. I started my real estate investing journey as a freshman in college when I bought my first duplex and have been in the trenches doing deals ever since. And today I now own hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. On this podcast, you will learn what you actually need to know to be a successful active or passive real estate investor. And we'll offer our takes on what's happening today so you can navigate this market and build wealth. I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Brenneman Blueprint. All right. Welcome to the Brenneman Blueprint podcast. Got an exciting episode today. Joined by Devin Elder, principal of DJE Real Estate Company, down in San Antonio, Texas. Looking forward to picking his brain today, uh, hearing about Texas and kind of why he's doing what he's doing. So welcome to the show. Drew, thanks for having me. Uh, My pleasure to be here. Yeah, excited to be here. Um, I think by the time this comes out, I will have already moved to Austin. So I'll be, you know, just up the just up 35 from you. So excited, uh, excited to get get down there. So but yeah, how how did you get started in real estate? I mean, let's just jump in wherever you want to get get going yeah I started in two
0: thousand eight uh, was working a corporate job you know went to college in San Antonio um, University of Texas San Antonio got a job at a IT company and then in two thousand eight you know economy was shaken up global financial crisis all that saw the retirement account uh, get whacked there and just kind of shook the stability of of everything and it kind of made me rethink what um, what my career plans were. I was kind of early in my career, but I but I had, I had an entrepreneurial older brother, still do. He'd always been an entrepreneur. And so I kind of watched that growing up. And for most of the time I thought he was crazy. But as I started to get into the corporate world and everything, was working really hard. And um I just kind of realized, hey, maybe this entrepreneurship thing is is partially in my blood. My brother's got it. My Grandfather had it. Um, maybe I have it too. So I started exploring, basically ways to develop multiple income streams. And I just kind of started on Google. You know, I think I remember reading Tim Ferriss' book, Four Hour Workweek, which is a such a clickbaity title, and even the whole book is kind of just, I don't know. But it, yeah. it did. There's serve a good the lesson purpose. in there,
1: but there's not really a lot of actionable steps. But I think yeah. uh, it's an but, interesting goal to think about. You it know, systematizing is systematizing and i think it's a good exercise and i remember some a, this is you know
0: a, some critic of tim ferriss said that guy's never worked 4 hours a week in his life and never will A guy works 100 hour weeks whatever so it's usually the case but i can appreciate that and and what it what it did though was was motivate me to to kind of create some of these other income streams that along with rich dad poor dad so i started looking I started looking for ways to make income. So, you know, looking at uh, marketing stuff online or whatever the case is. But when you, when you kind of search that route, one, you run into tons of scammy stuff, right? Work from home type scams. It is just the internet is uh, abundant with it. It yeah, was in good. 2008. I'm, I'm sure it is now. But I think if you start looking for wealth building and passive income, You don't search for too long before you find real estate. So that's what happened to me. And it took a couple of years of kind of reading books and exploring and thinking about being an entrepreneur. Also, while being married and starting a family, so you kind of my responsibilities were ramping up as well, which um, is a tremendous motivator. I mean, I think that's really for a lot of men, that's kind of when they really hit their stride is when the pressure is put on them that. Deliver for a family. It's this whole new level of uh, maturity, I think. And so that was a good thing for me. You know, it, I really grew up through that and got more motivated to kind of be that provider for my family. So I, you know, I did what a lot of people do. I signed up for a weekend course seminar that taught real estate. I, paid 10 grand to join that course. And they taught some single family and some multifamily. And I went out uh, a month later and bought a single family house with hard money loan at like, you know, 13% interest and three points or something like that. But I just couldn't believe somebody would give me money to go buy this beat up house. And I I just had had never seen this model. And I just remember thinking, "Ah, I wish somebody would have shown this to me in high school. Because I'd, I'd have like 100 of these by now. I kind of yeah. your story, man. You got started pretty early as an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. And I remember thinking that as when I did my first house, I'm like in my 30s, you know? And I'm like, oh, okay. I, I, this this would have been nice to know earlier, but, you know, no regrets. That's fine. We're all on our own path. Um, so I started buying houses. And then, I mean, that was, the, that was the start of it. And once I did that first house and I saw the equity, I mean, everything they, this, this course taught me, right? Equity. Cash flow appreciation, principal pay down, tax advantages. I was totally hooked, and I knew pretty much after that first deal um, that that's that was going to be my future, and
1: that's how it's going to leave my job. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, and it's uh, I thought the same thing. You know, even yeah, I got started when I was a teenager, but it was like, wow, why are more people not doing this, and it's not more readily talked about, but. In school, I mean, they didn't even teach, I didn't even learn how to balance like a checkbook or right. any any anything, make a budget, you know? So, and then the, you know, my, my parents were teachers, like they, I get their mindset where they're not about like, uh, you know, financial freedom necessarily or, or leveraging off of others or, or other people's money where people in the business world would. They were, you know, they were just comfortable. They liked having summers off and it was, it was a nice job helping people. And that's kind of what they were were interested in so yeah i can see that i've often thought that too where it's like wow it's interesting does everyone's first and only thought is i need to go get a job and there's there's a lot of other avenues out there so and actually something i saw i don't remember where it was it might have been rich dad poor dad but it was in one of those earlier books that i had read so probably around the same time you're reading it um and they were talking about like they they thought it was actually less safe to have a job than a. Than a business or like rental properties and they made a good case it's like you know you could get fired at your job tomorrow I mean conceivably and then your your income goes to zero where you know at least for you and me we have a portfolio of properties you know the the market could you know make those go to zero if rents you know drop uh, an insane amount but odds odds are way more likely with that uh, that's that's never happened and so you can't really shut our incomes off at this point so it's a powerful powerful spot to be. So it's an interesting mindset shift. And yeah, I was fortunate where I was able to do that early. So not good, not get hooked on a W2. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it is a hook. And the older you get, the more money you make, the bigger hook it is. See it all the time. I feel like when I was working my corporate job, I thought I've kind of got one shot at this. I'm in my thirties and I, I swear, I still believe this. If I would have gotten one more promotion, that'd have been it, you know, cause I would have yeah. just been making enough money to go why why would I risk this? I'm already, I'm already in my thirties. I got a family. And so I feel like I just missed that. I had enough of the entrepreneurial drive and a taste of it to say, gosh, if I get one more promotion, I'm, 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 I'll be stuck for life in it. And, um, you know, I think work is noble and I don't, you know, I don't think anybody's job is, um, you know, I don't want to look down on having a job. I think, you know, having a job and contributing to a company is a noble thing. But for me and for a lot of us entrepreneurs, you know, there was, I almost feel like I kind of escaped it just barely.
1: Yeah. I was never wired for a job where I think, you know, right. most, I mean, most people would be where they like that. It's, uh, you know, consistent and know what they're getting. And this can be stressful at a lot of times, like for what sure. we're doing. And, um, I'm sure other businesses are even more stressful where it's like, you know, uh, you know, if you run like a hospital, or you know, like those kind of things, or restaurants. I mean, there's just so many more moving pieces on those. Right? Right. Or I sometimes wonder how the people can do that. But um, yeah, no that that makes a lot of sense. And so, how did you go then? Because now you, how big is your portfolio today? I mean, it's quite large. Yeah, I mean, the easy way to talk about
0: it is we own about a quarter billion dollars in assets, just kind of all in value across land, multifamily development stuff mixed use um and so you know that's kind of a number that i that i track and look yep. at and we're trying to grow that to a billion so X growth over call it the next handful of years and so you know there's all kind of nuanced detail within that right to some we own outright some we've got partners or syndications on whatever the case is but i just kind of like to zoom out and say hey that's that's what we um yeah that's a great way to
1: think about it and so how did you where i wanted to go with this was where how did you go from uh, a rental house at 13 percent interest to you know having a 250 million a property kind of what what do you think led to that or what happened in the middle here
0: yeah i mean i think it was it was one foot in front of the other the whole time i mean i i feel like throughout that journey there was never a um huge overnight turning point. It really has just been kind of one deal at at a time, one investor at a time. But a a big turning point was going to multifamily. So kind of having some success in the single family world. And then your goals grow. You know, I think a lot of people want 10 rental houses and they could retire off that and pay them off. And okay, that was kind of my goal too. It seemed like um, a lot of people I talked to that sounded reasonable and achievable it's funny you know before i'm in real estate it's like you have this dream of owning a rental or maybe someday 10 rentals by the time you're 55 or something and it's and then you start getting into it and you're like i want 10 rentals you know by next quarter <laughs> um so for me it, it was a scaling issue it seems like 10 houses is kind of 10 rental houses is kind of the point where you're like all right this is turning into a job um and i didn't i'm ambitious i i like to stay busy and so i you know, I wanted—I had done it, proven it. I wanted to grow it, and you know, the thought of having 300 houses or or whatever was just like, no, I just can't wrap my head around that. But I knew guys that had had 300 units or a thousand units, and they had a management company, and they had people running that. Yeah, that and they weren't there, at yeah. their properties, and so. That but that took some that took some money to do. You know, these guys had already built careers and had capital, which I did not starting out. So I just kind of slugged it out in the single family world, did some flips, built some cash flow until I could get into that multifamily world. And so my my trigger to quit my W two was cash flow from these assets that covered my bills, and was not I didn't have a huge amount of bills at the time, but I did want at least that with the family and everything, because um, I knew starting a business was going to be challenging and right. require a lot of capital. So I built up enough of a portfolio, it was about 22 units, single family and a small multifamily that covered my
1: bills every month. And then I quit. And, and then- And over what period uh, of time was this? Because I think that's important. People kind of in a similar yep. spot, because I'm sure this didn't take a year. This was, you know- a slow burn to start. So cause 2008 yeah. or so nine was the first deal you bought. I didn't do, I didn't start doing deals till like end of 2012, 2013. Oh, okay. So, and it nice. took me two and a half
0: years. And what I did was um, I was very focused about it. You know, once I did that first rental house, I said, okay, this is it. This is how I'm going to get out of my job. So I likened it to uh, I have a poster in my office, uh, like a, a stylized poster of uh Shawshank redemption. And it's a picture of the Bible with the, With the hammer in it. And so for me, that was like a kind of a a big part of my journey was this Shawshank Redemption analogy where, you know, he was chipping away with a little hammer for 20 years, tunneling out of the prison, if you've seen the movie. And at the end of the movie, it's this huge thing. He's standing in the rain after crawling through, you know, miles of sewage or whatever. So my Shawshank Redemption chipping the tunnel was two and a half years. So looking back, man, it was a blink of an eye. In it though, it was absolutely balls of the walls, burn the candle at both ends every day, all day, seven
1: days a week. So, yeah, I don't want to go over that. The same thing I did. That's why I wanted to ask where yep. I did. I mean, that's, uh, I think that's the best way to do it. Cause then when you quit your job, you already had a lot going. You were, you know, covering your bills. So you didn't have like a gun to your head to like, I need to do all these deals and I got a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, to just meet the bills, but that's important because I think a lot of people they look at it and go like, "I don't see how this will, this will, this will work." I can't. How do I get to you know whatever your bills were at the time, you know, five, eight, ten thousand a month? Like that's going to be a lot of money for a whole family. But yeah, it takes it took years, so which is not I'm I'm not surprised. But that's
0: yeah, and I think insightful. that's a common entrepreneurial story. I feel I feel like it takes a lot of gas, it takes a lot of fuel for the rocket to get out of out of the orbit. And then once you're in orbit, it takes a lot less fuel, but took a lot of uh, time and energy and um, was obviously very difficult, but so was work. Like, you know, I mean, everything's hard. Um, It just, you you know, which one's going to set you up longer term. And so I was willing to kind of sacrifice. And I think that a kind of whatever it takes approach is, is kind of a common thread amongst entrepreneurs. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And if I got a, sell my car and i got to work three jobs like I, whatever you know if i got to yeah. donate plasma to make a few bucks to make this thing happen like nothing's off the table um to to you know as far as work yeah. or commitment goes and i think that's important and i think when i talk to some people that wanna do stuff it's like i don't know if i'm getting the sense that they're willing to sacrifice
1: yeah, What's necessary. they're usually not, yeah, because I I have this, describe it the same way, where I was working, I I say three jobs, because it was, I had my regular job, the building's I owned on my own, and then I started doing deals as a partnership with those, with, with two guys, and so it was like, this is, you know, uh, each one is sort of, almost in a way, thinks it was the only focus, but it's, yeah, it was seven days a week, kind of like you're saying, so, but, but yeah, then you launch, and then you're off and going, and so, how do you what how are you gonna i mean let's jump to the current then unless you got something you wanted to touch on there, but I'd be curious how you said something very interesting your your goal is to get to a billion dollars of property so how how have you set things up or how are you gonna how do you see yourself getting to a billion from where you're at now yeah, i think it's
0: um it's just more the same of what we're already doing and compounding, so you know a lot of our deals today look like we basically have three legs on the stool for our firm. One is light industrial, which we build. One is existing multifamily, which we buy. And one is large rural land, which we which we buy. So, very different, very different asset classes. But we've kind of come to them all slowly over time. Started small, proven it, and then grown it out. And then at some point, when we and it's, I've done the same thing for all of it, you know. I te- I have a thesis on a on an asset class, and this is all in Central Texas, so it's all in our backyard. I can go drive it, I can go see it, I can meet brokers locally
1: in the major cities. Then, so in, in Austin and San Antonio, or we're really, we just we're right? just in San Antonio, and then the oh, land okay. stuff we do all over Texas. But the but the multifamily
0: and the industrial stuff we just do in San Antonio right now. Maybe maybe we get to other markets later, but so far we've been able to find enough deals in our backyard where we have, you know, tremendous local advantages, home court
1: advantages across all kinds of facets. Yeah, Um, I looked at the multifamily portfolio. It looks really nice. I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, high end, large multifamily assets. Like it's, um, there's no, no reason to go outside of San Antonio from what I was seeing on the website. Like you're finding nice properties so far, you know, if I could buy 250 units a quarter in San Antonio,
0: that's great. You know, and, and, market conditions are going to kind of dictate whether that's we're getting that many looks at deals or not. But so far, we've been able to to find it. And I want to, I mean, our firm is really geared around multifamily. We're vertically integrated. So, we have about 85 employees, give or take, at any given moment. And most of that is kind of on the property management side. So, we're geared for multifamily. But in the past few years, we've needed to diversify in order to keep Deal flow, you know, and the, everything kind of runs off deal flow, right? You want to be putting stuff in front of investors because you can't tell them about your firm and then wait nine months to show them a deal. You can, but they, everybody's got options. Um, right. employees need projects to work on. We need to deploy capital. We need to cycle capital as we go full cycle on deals and reinvest. So, you know, all, all that is kind of contingent on deal flow, which is why we built the three legs versus just, just multifamily. Um, but you know, to answer your question about, forex growth and getting to a billion dollars i think getting to a billion dollars assets under management is is you know you know it's it's simply there's a target to reverse engineer to set goals to understand what do we need to do today right today's thursday what's our kpis for today across our departments that are going to eventually lead to that and that that's you know that's the reason it's not because we have to have that or or whatever but i think companies need to be growing and that's what creates opportunity for everybody everybody right. investors Employees, me, business partners, vendors, like, you know, everybody wants to go do more deals. So, um, so that's, you know, that's how we plan to do it more multifamily, more, um, more land, more industrial. And then I think over time, turning DJE more into a family office than, you know, a syndicator. So we've kind of done all this real estate stuff, planted our flag in Central Texas. And as these deals cycle through, well, I mean, I take a salary, I take a WT salary from my S Corp and I take an owner distribution from my investing entity and I just set it and forget it. And that that's it. I don't, you know, if we sell a deal and there's a big capital event, I don't get, I don't take a yeah. bonus. Like I, we set up our lifestyle. I live, man, we live great, but that's just consistently paying out. So I don't have to think about it. And and our income is just completely predictable at the household level. So when, yeah. on the investment side, it just keeps cycling through. Yeah. And, you know, we need to place that capital too. And my thought is, well, let's let's have this family office forever because that's we're going to need that at some point anyway to keep deploying this capital. And I would rather it be our management company, our you know, our property management company instead of third party. I'd rather be us sourcing deals than third party. I'd rather, you know, it's already built so let's just kind of keep it running and so i think you know my capital contribution to each project over time grows and grows um
1: to the point it. where to explain what i mean i think i always understand this but want to uh, you know uh elaborate where having it be your own family office with that's essentially the goal is eventually all the deals are being bought with just your your own money essentially. correct. Yeah, I
0: think they could be, or we're just doing enough deal volume. You know, if we're doing $50 million deals with $20 million equity requirements, okay, maybe we've got 10 million of investor capital in there and 10 million of our capital that maybe we just, because we're already doing deals of that size. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't know that we, Totally crowd out investors, you know, at some point in the future, but, but maybe so, I mean, it simplifies things, right? If you can be the sole investor, boy, that's a lot simpler. Um, and this is over like a very long term horizon. So, you know, if, if I've got an investor listening, we're not going to stop sending you yeah. deals tomorrow. Right. But this over like time, next generation
1: stuff where, you know, yeah. right. If Yeah. Yeah. So, and
0: then we've kind of already started doing that on a one-off deal basis. Like, okay, there's no investors in this deal. This is just simply a DJE deal that's kind of a forever hold, um, and started well, let kind me
1: of layering. jump in. in. Is that, what is that your favorite deal at this point? Cause I'll say the, I own, I own three on my own and it's hard to not have those be my favorites. There's no reporting needed. Uh, I don't, I don't need to, I don't need to do anything basically. Like I just, I own them. I know what's happening. I don't, you know, they're, it's almost effortless at this point owning those three.
0: It is. I mean, I'd, I'd have to agree with you on that because, especially around like distributions i mean if we've got investors in the deal we are obsessed with distributions and so you that drives a lot of your decisions and if you own it outright don't take a distribution you know whatever it just takes all the pressure off um it also gives you a much longer horizon to think about rather than a you know three-year turn
1: or whatever the case is so yeah for sure for sure it's hard not yeah hard not to so we're even yeah like on one i paid myself out 10 i did a ten thousand dollar distribution it was like whoops i that was too much because i didn't think about it at all because it was you know if it was one with investors we would have to your point yeah it would be we'd have it all mapped out we have a forward 12 budget we use like where yep. we would have spent a lot of time on it and so i was like oh there's you know whatever 25 grand and they will just pay out 10 and then it was like oh whoops we need to actually do this other thing and let's put it back you know whereas that's what i mean where it's like there but if you would have had to do that with you know 20 investors this would, it would have been a nightmare You yeah um, you've
0: got to be so much more calculated and careful and i think it's kind of the mantra of any real estate operator that they're going to treat investor capital to
1: such a higher standard than, than your own capital. I, you know, hear that over and over again. So yeah, it's really um, true though, where I'm definitely more careful with their money than even mine, you know, where true. and I'm careful with mine. It's just where, um, you, there's, you're just only answering to yourself, you know, at least, and, and you understand the risk fully. And, you know, cause that's another thing where some of these investors, you know, they're investing mostly cause it's you and they were in other deals and you're, you know, you're really looking out for them. So. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean,
0: I think at the end of the day,
1: that's it's it's a
0: relationship, and and I'm I'm the same way as a limited partner investing in other deals. It's completely relationship based, you know. And I'm trusting that person because of their past performance or because of our relationship. Um, because inevitably, I mean, every pro forma looks good, and it's always up and to the right. Inevitably, you're going to get punched in the teeth, and I, you know, I want that operator that can roll with those punches, and we we all do. So the you know. Mm-hmm the responsibility of managing that capital is just so it's a sacred thing right so yeah so there's a lot of you know there's a lot there um we like saying these days like hey you know i'm the i'm the biggest investor in this project if you want to come along great you know um if not great position and so that
1: that's kind of a good good spot to be in but uh, what, yeah we do what have what kpis the what kpis are you would you say you're you're focused on? Because I know obviously a billion is is it's a goal out there, but really to get to that, you need to focus on let's smaller goals. So mm-hmm. what what sort of smaller goals or uh, KPIs are you are you tracking, targeting? What what do you think is driving this?
0: Yeah, so we've got you know the I mentioned the three legs of our asset classes: land, multifamily, industrial. We've got three kind of legs of the stool. I think of of any company like ours, but what we talk about internally is you need deals money and teams so teams i hired my coo who's now my coo has been promoted two or three times since i hired him to coo he came from the property management world and he runs our teams so literally he reports to me and the only other person in an 85 person organization that reports to me is my assistant my office manager so i don't i don't really manage people that well um it's not my it's it drains a lot of energy maybe from everybody but i've it drains energy for me so the team's part of it is completely almost 100 run by my coo so we need you know somebody new on the accounting team or whatever there's a whole process that happens there that i that i'm not involved in and that's i think one of the reasons we've been able to scale is because i'm not involved in that so then we've got the money leg of the stool um Justin is our head of investor relations and you know he's worked with us for years now I, the, the whole thing started with me borrowing you know money from one personal relationship to flip a house and then two and then it was four and now it's you know 700 investors so that's literally just kind of grown organically and and through referrals and stuff like that and justin manages that and his kpis are around you know two things a, a leading indicator and a lagging in indicator on capital so the the lagging indicator is capital and you know we want to raise a hundred million dollars this year across all our product types some of that is debt some of that is equity but 100 million million dollar target okay that's a that's a big number on an annual basis what does that look like on a daily basis? And our KPI there is just a new uh, investor prospect interaction. They have a call. You know, we talk, tell them about our firm, get them set up in our portal, send them a thank you, you know, package or whatever the case is. And then there's kind of a sequence that, hey, you're in now and now you're going to see our deals. So I'm a big fan of like, I mean, I've worked in the corporate <laughs> corporate world where there's you know leadership wants to see 1000 KPIs and they become meaningless mm-hmm. so on capital we just track how many new investors do we talk to on a daily weekly basis and then you know how's that tracking to our annual capital goal so pretty simple KPIs there and then the other KPIs on acquisitions which is just looking at um how many deals we want to do in a year and i i like targets you know i don't i don't want to go out and do bad deals to hit a target but i believe targets really keep you focused and keep you hustling and so we want to do we want to buy 1200 doors this year of multifamily we're in april we're behind the number but but having the number keeps the pressure on me and keeps the pressure on the team to just keep looking and so just having that pipeline across land industrial multifamily that we're always looking at and trying to keep you know probably 20x what we need to close in the pipeline you know, keeping 20, 30, 40 deals in the pipeline at all times. And, you know, you know how it goes. Most of them aren't going to work out. We're going through LOIs. We're going through getting under contract. We're going through due diligence all to kind of get down the, the funnel. So, you know, my, my focus is, is not so much on the people because I've got somebody great running that for the company. I've got somebody great running capital for the company. Um, my focus really is kind of on the acquisitions and keeping that pipeline of deals full and then we're working on bringing somebody on uh to kind of help assist me with some of that because it's just as you know it's so many cycles of looking and offering memorandums plugging in underwriting making offers just all these and then follow up you know it might take a deal six months to close or right. six months to get into contract so just keeping that pipeline full is what we look at and then we look at um you know just in terms of operating the companies each asset's got to hit certain benchmarks but we look at that as almost um a foregone conclusion like hey these these properties be, need to be operating here it's not uh it's not a goal this is like a requirement if we're going to buy a property and it's going we're saying it's going to perform x for investors that's just a foregone conclusion that we're going to get to that so whatever team processes reporting we need to get that
1: we're going to you know put that put that stuff in place so I pretty got simple so many set of KPIs. Nice. Yeah, but I got I got so many questions. I mean, that's a great answer. So I want to just sure, unpack yeah. all that. So I guess sure. the first thing. So do you tr- where do you actually track these metrics? Do you guys use like Asana? It's in a Google Sheet. Do you make something. What do you guys kind of thing? Are you guys use in?
0: Yeah, in my corporate world, I was uh, in a couple of jobs. I would uh, I was a CRM admin for various departments, you know, or even organizations. So I ended up set, um when I started my own company i was like oh man, i know exactly what to do here because I've, I've done yeah. this for years so i ended up settling on insightly i think there's a thousand crms you know um i'd done a lot with salesforce i didn't want to <laughs> i guess maybe just burnt out on salesforce i don't want any part i didn't want anything to do with it so um insightly was the one that we chose but what i like about it and they all have their, their pros and cons right you know this one's got nine of the features you need and you really need 10 but the and you need the enterprise edition to get that. Yeah. So it's kind of like you can't, you're not going to win. And once you get in, the hooks are in you forever. Like a migration out of your CRM ain't happening. Um, so we use Insightly and then I've just customized the snot out of it. So it does all kind of workflows, all kind of task assignments, document generation, um, tracking of all our KPIs, high level dashboards. That's kind of the brain of the company on the I would say the private equity side on the property management side, holy moly, we have all kind of stuff. We use RealPage, and our property management teams have, I mean, insane amount of KPIs and data and stuff that they track. But really, I don't even. I'm looking at the high level, you know, collections, right. occupancy, trending stuff like that. I'm not getting into the weeds on the on the property management side. I'm more on the private equity side, and and uh, is our dashboard for all that. So we got you know real time dashboard for all the departments and we we all look at it and talk about it every week and it's just extremely transparent it's hard to hide in a small company
1: which is yeah good and bad and the the what contacts are you putting in in insightly these are uh all are they the investors as well or are you guys doing that in something else
0: yeah we kind of it's it's a little bit of duplication because our app folio is what we're using for our investor Uh, platform. We really like it. And, and, you know, everybody wants to be a CRM. So Appfolio has developed all these CRM capabilities and it's like, so there is some redundancy there where we've got things like email templates, follow-up sequences, tasks, things like that built into our CRM. And so we've got to have the contact in there, but at some point they do, they do flip over. I I would say, you know, just to get in the weeds on it, you kind of got leads and investors, you know, and so leads would be in the in the CRM. Once they become investors or they're gonna see deals, they get over to the app folio platform and that's where we launch deals, that's where they can see their distributions, that's where they can see their portfolio, it's tax docs, offering documents, webinars, all that's out of the app platform. You know, if I were to wave a wand, if I could have one CRM for the company, awesome, but this just not realistic. So there is some manual kind of port over that happens
1: but all our task management, process management stuff like that happens in the CRM. Okay, nice. Yeah, we're sort of it's the same thing where there's not really one solution that just kind of covers yeah. it all. Where we use Juniper Square for our portal. Sure. Our CRM is PipeDrive, and that we pick because it has the best emailer and syncing to your phone. Nice. Um, but then in that we that's more for the business context, the brokers, the vendors, uh, companies who would be investors, you know, like a family office, but not. Not the individuals. Those are all in Juniper Square, like you're saying, because they want to be their own CRM, too. So then we have everybody's info in there. Yep. And then on top of that, you know, for our newsletter, then we use Constant Contact because that can make a pretty newsletter. So then you end up with a bunch of different lists and places. But um, and there's some platforms where they try to combine that, like HubSpot. They aspire to do that. But then that's, uh, you know, the price is, is the the biggest, you know. So then it's like, well, all this other stuff is working individually really well so then i guess just being an all-in-one didn't seem like that um big of a benefit but then okay so then on the the guy who's in charge of uh the the point person for raising the equity um the only kpi he has is just you want to have one new contact a day or how, how does that actually look what's he thinking about
0: yeah, we basically just track
1: what is what is somebody that could it's is has
0: the wherewithal to be an investor and the desire. You know, we say hey, we have a 50k minimum. So, if that's not for you, that's great. That we're not going to kind of count that as a as a KPI on the investor side, right? So, but somebody comes in that's a dentist and they, you know, their neighbor invests with us like okay awesome you clearly have the wherewithal and maybe even the desire to invest with us so we're going to count that put you in the system send you a starbucks gift card after we get off the call is just kind of a thank you and that goes in there so yeah just tracking that and it's so funny i'm sure you've seen this too like the best we we don't do any paid marketing or anything i'm gonna have a podcast but that's kind of impossible to track
1: um It is. That's what my marketing guy said. He's like, you know, it doesn't, you can't tell her if, who's <laughs> listening, if they're listening, if, uh, do you yep. have leads? Cause he's uh, have you ever done a webinar?
0: We do deal webinars, but I, I like to pre-record
1: them and not make oh. people show up at seven o'clock. At, you know, but the reason they, people do webinars, he explained is cause then you know who your leads are. Yeah. Like, so you Great go to point. your podcast or social media or your whoever, people who are kind of floating around in the background that you haven't, uh, captured their info yet. We'll call it. Mm-hmm. Well, you offer a webinar. We're going to deep dive into the secrets of multifamily investing. And all of a sudden now you get their name and email. that's good So idea. anyways, that, that's why people, yeah, I kind of wonder why, like, why is everybody doing webinars like at night? Seems like a hassle, but it's like, yeah, then you know who you, you know, Who's actually like floating around on your email list or in the background uh listening to your podcast where you never had a way to contact them before?
0: That's um, a really good point. And it's such a simple point, but that never dawned on me. I would see sponsors doing webinars at seven o'clock on a Wednesday. And my immediate thought was, I, you know, I want to Netflix it for people. I don't want to be friends in Seinfeld where they've got to plan their week around it. I want to create it on demand and go but yeah there's probably a lot of folks that are not maybe in your network and now you know you got 506b 506c you got some sec regulations kind of watch out for if you're trying to get new investors on a webinar that's a 506b deal
1: right gets a little murky um but yeah are you doing any of those i i never have because i mean you can't you got so many rules about talking openly that then to have a podcast and so i figured i don't want the legal hassles so it's only accredited verified yeah we do both so we'll do one-off deal launches that are still
0: b and then we you know we just launch those people we already have a relationship with and we do some five or six c stuff too
1: yeah because then um but yeah and also the webinars how everyone can get my email is uh you if you say you're going to send it out after as well like then i'm for sure signing up because then i can netflix it like you're saying and then you know listen to it while i'm you know driving or whatever, working out. Um, but then, uh, you know, where I know I'm not, I'm not going to tune in at 7 PM on a Tuesday already. I already got to put my son to bed or something. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, I think that's, that's really valid. Um,
0: I think what we've done as a firm has always been to be pretty, it's a, it's a balancing act, right? Like you're trying to grow your investor base, but you're trying to have deal flow too. I think, we've probably grown the investor base more than the deal flow has been able to keep up with. So we talk about it a lot. It's like, it's kind of a bad customer experience, which we're, we're pretty obsessed with the investor experience, like once they're actually in a deal. But I think it is frustrating for investors when we've had all these conversations and then we launch a deal and it fills up immediately. And I get texts from people that have been in our deals for years and like, Oh man, I didn't check my email. Like, are are there any spots? And the answer is no. And you're like, well, that's, that's not a great experience. But, hey, man, I'm on the hook for raising $10 million for this deal that's like moving fast. You know, it's 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 hard to balance the, it you is. know, getting an investor position for everybody that wants one. I mean, plain and simple, they're first come, first serve, and they're going to oversubscribe and fill up. And I think that's helped us get deals done. Um, and I would rather have too much interest in not enough and be scrambling to raise capital. But I think we kind of did that deliberately from the beginning was to just make sure we had plenty of investors more than we needed for the deal. And then as it's grown, um, that's, you know, I, I'd say we're
1: lagging on kind of deal flow. Right. But yeah, well, makes sense in today's market. It's hard to get anything to, to pencil. And then mm-hmm. two, one thing that's interesting with the investor experience for the new ones you know, especially when the market is difficult for deals to pencil, you know, you can, I, I mean, I met investors last year at the end, towards the end of the year and I've never sent them a deal. You know, we, the last deal we bought, we closed in July, 2022. Yep. And, and so, um, you know, I know you have a fund is that, I mean, talk, talk about that if you'd like where that at least to me, that was, I saw that on your website. I was like, this is a good idea, uh, for everyone's point of view where, You can uh, if you just really are hot to invest right now today, like a new investor, you can um, as far as I know with the fund. And then same thing for you where like now you have like it probably over time. It's relatively consistent. What's happening there over like year over year, maybe where you kind of know like, all right, we'll get some of this roughly this amount through the fund. And then you can kind of plan ahead a little. Yeah, it's we've talked about
0: it for years about just kind of that inherent set up where you're raising capital per deal and I've always really liked it because it's extremely efficient you know if somebody wires this money for a multifamily deal we're buying it's it's not in the account very long before it is like active in the deal we're closed and we're off to the races so a, a fund um I feel like we we never had enough deal flow or diversity of asset classes for me to feel comfortable about. It took many years to get to the point where we said, okay, you know, if we if we raise a fund, I've got a lot of things to deploy it in. We've got multiple asset classes. The kind of unifying theme of all of it is that we own it and run it. So we're not raising money to be a hard money lender to some flipper. Or we're not we're not partnering with other GPs to provide capital. This is is our deal that we're doing. We own it. We're running it to so own and manage, and we can put the fund to, to uh, work on a piece of dirt. Okay, hey, we need to tie up this piece of dirt for half a million bucks, and it might be six months before we flip out of it or get the pre-development done to actually go build on it. We, we could buy this piece of rural land. We could buy this industrial project that needs construction. We could buy this one-off kind of building downtown or whatever the case is. So there's enough happening from a pipeline perspective to be able to put the fund to work on that I felt comfortable. Okay, we can raise a fund and pay out 10% and we can make the, the numbers work there. Um, the other thing on the investor experience side is, yeah, I, I – same as you guys, we're closing a multifamily deal next month. It's been a year. I mean, that's that's a long time to go. Um, yeah. we've had other deals that we've launched, so we've had stuff to do. But multifamily wise, been been a, a pretty quiet. So having the fun from an investor experience perspective is like, hey, you know, you were referred to us. You want to try it out for fifty k? It's a pretty minimal time commitment, pretty minimal money commitment. As these things go and we've got it for you right now if you want to sign up so i think the fund is new to us in the last six months so i think you know time will tell um but the the thesis is that it's just another menu item because you know how it is i mean somebody's like hey man i just sold a house i got 150 grand i want to put it somewhere i like you guys what do you got and for a long time it was like well keep checking your email right um so to have something it's like well you know it's not a 20 IRR, but I get 10% here, this monthly distributions, you can pull it out after a year. And um, the overwhelming response is that people are like, okay, that, you know, it's, it's in real estate, it's collateralized, it's professionally managed, uh, it's not locked up for too long. And so I think it's just yeah, been another
1: so- menu item that works for people. And it's mostly first lien positions too. I mean, you were saying, I mean, so it's, you know, for that return, that's, just, that's safe. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah, exactly. Lower risk L- it's for that, lower that on the capital
0: return. stack. I mean, it's the floor of the capital stack. And it's, you know, it's it's debt. It's not an equity deal. The equity stuff pays out more or potentially pays out
1: more, but your risk profile is different too. Right. Yeah. So just to point that out where that's, you know, for the risk involved, that's a nice return. Yep. So yep. Exactly. on the KPIs, though, for the the, the guy, what did his, his name was, Kevin or for the equity? Uh, Justin on our investor Justin. relations. On mm-hmm. investor relations. But his... his Only KPI is uh, one new qualified lead a day. We actually target two. Two. um, Which,
0: it's so funny, and I meant to mention this earlier. We don't do any paid marketing, but the best marketing is is deal launches, right? Because you launch a deal, there's kind of a frenzy of, of activity around it, and then somebody might refer somebody. So, you know, when we look at the KPIs and they're really high, it's like, what's going on? Well, duh, we have deals to talk about. And so you know, back to that deal flow is kind of drives
1: all of it. It's like, well, it drives our KPIs too on the, on investor on the investor side. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. And then, so what would, okay. So I think I've heard, so it was like similar shops to yours where it's like how did they maybe build their initial investor list? It would be, yeah, who they knew. But then once they, you know, exhausted that it was, you know, they turned to LinkedIn ads or Facebook or something, um, But then if you, so you guys never did that, but then if someone, you have a person full time who, let's say there isn't a deal launching, he could just on his, I mean, if I was him, I want to hit my two a day, I'd start going on like LinkedIn myself or somewhere, a Facebook group. Is that, I mean, is that what he's doing with his, we'll call like uh spare time at work? You know, like just. Yes. So
0: I think, I mean, at this point he's pretty busy managing like the whole department and part of it, we've talked about. Maybe bringing somebody on for more of the service requests. So he's just on the phone more because, you know, K1 stuff, uh, FMV stuff with IRAs, distributions. I mean, we're sending out half a million dollars of distributions a month, right? So it's like, there's, there's a lot going on there and we have an accounting team too, but he owns the investor experience. So the bucks, the buck kind of stops with him around making sure all the trains run on time there. But yeah, so we've got the podcast. We've got frankly, it's a lot of referrals. So if, if somebody's already investor with us, birds of a feather flock together, there's probably a conversation to be had there. Uh, We also do a lot of events. So we do events in San Antonio, Austin, Houston, Dallas. I've got a a company that I own with my business partner called apartment educators. We, you know, we do meetups and there's a hundred people there. So at the, at the, very least it's like there's probably a couple of events in texas every month that
1: he could go to and go shake some hands okay but it's yeah that's uh yeah i think uh, it never dawned on me but you could have just a person who their job would be just actually the the outreach where you could uh probably would make sense where if someone who's it's just it's kind of cold outreach but it's people who are online looking for that you know they're mm-hmm. on you know, bigger pockets, the forum or on a Facebook group. And you could say like, Hey, here's the answer. And this is, you know, actually what we do too. If you want to like check out our company and like, that would be really good time spent. I never thought about that where, like where obviously I think about do that with my extra time, but it's, um, you have a, just a, just a person doing it and that's their only, only goal. So I could see where, yeah, you could end up using another person like, cause you know, he'll get a referral, but also, you know, if it's, if it's, uh, the first, Quarter of the year, he's busy with you know all the tax stuff and you know just all, all that. So, and people with questions, what do I do? What do I do? My K one's got such a big negative number on it. How does this work? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, <laughs> for not sure. for the distribution; it's not negative. Just for the taxable income. Yeah, uh, that's right. To clarify, yeah. never on that. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. That's a common question. Like, how do the taxes work on this? And it's like surprising to people where you get uh you get some tax deductions on there that aren't cash, ones that knock the taxes down a lot. So. Oh, man. You
0: know, I, it blows my mind that the banks don't understand that. I mean, every time I go to get a loan, unless it's a multifamily loan with like, Freddie or Fannie, they get it. But I, anything else, they're like, what What are all these losses? Yeah. Like, they're, they're depreciation
1: losses, and it's why we're in this business. Like, yeah. You're a banker. How do you – I don't know. I, every time – there's a, uh, on my schedule of real estate on the far right column, I have a schedule of cash flow. Nice. And, uh, I mean, I would assume you do too, but if you don't, like I, that's where I point them to. I go, yeah, that's for taxes. Like if you want to see how they're actually doing, like this is on the schedule of real estate. Love so it. that's, uh, yeah. Cause no, that's, that's right. And you know, that's, it's probably why Trump's tax returns, you know, it's never, never appeared. He didn't want to, didn't want to be answering, uh, questions about what's, what's going on with this. Yeah. <laughs> when did you hire your coo because i mean that i wouldn't i would say i'm not really i mean we're very similar devin want to hear your how you got started and then also how what you feel like you're good at uh doing at your company where you know i never worked at a large company so even Mm -hmm. how you don't you feel like it's draining uh managing people i i feel the same way and i have no experience doing it or even almost no no role model barely because i worked at some companies but they were in terms of the staff, kind of small on the mm-hmm. deal teams. So I didn't really, uh, you know, people throw out these terms, uh, stand up meeting or some, just different things. I've never even heard of them, you know, where <laughs> right. sometimes where, um, what, uh, when did you bring on who, who became your COO? What did, and what were they doing at the start of their, uh, employment? Yeah,
0: it's interesting. You know, I got into real estate to not have a job and now I am the CEO of a 85-person company with, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of, of stuff that we own. So th- it's, that's been an interesting journey. Um, what happened for me was I think a pivotal point a number of years ago was <clears throat> had a couple of assets, had a third-party management company that we just got into some real trouble with. You know, they kind of stopped paying bills, financials looked great, and then we just kind of had this wave of liens start hitting from vendors that hadn't been paid in three <laughs> months. And so – wow there was kind of this moment of like, God, we got these two assets. We're getting killed on our property management and property management, hard business, low margin, all that stuff. Um, and so it was really, you know, they say inspiration or desperation. It was a desperation moment to say, I could go hire another management company, but it's probably going to, you know, it's kind of be the same thing. So um, stars aligned. There was somebody that was a regional manager at, a third-party management company that I actually never had worked with, but they'd done due diligence on a couple of projects with us that um, we bought a property that they were on. So I had an interaction with this person there and we didn't end up hiring them as the third party. We brought a new third party and then we were doing due diligence on another property in March of 2020 <laughs> that we had to terminate the contract on because that was, I mean, the 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 sky was falling. And I'd worked with him on that. So I'd kind of known this guy for a couple of years and seen how he built and ran teams and just had a lot of respect for the guy. And so out of the blue, I need a new I need a new management company solution. And this guy it had left his company. And so it was one of those things if you're familiar with Jim Collins, good to great, getting yeah, the right people on the bus, bus. It was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this guy, but I know this weekend I'm going to make him an offer for a job. I don't. I thought he was going to be – honestly, I thought I was going to hire him as an asset manager to help um, keep these third-party property management companies in check. That was kind of my first thought. And then I was just thinking about it over the weekend, and I was like, you know, man – Let's start a company. Like we'll spin up a new LLC. I'll fund it. And let's just see if we can go. So we started the management the property management company. So he started as employee one of DJE properties, which is our, our property management company. Um he came over as so he was a regional, he came over as VP of operations. So immediate uh, you know, immediate upgrade for him. And then within like 18 months, he built this whole thing really as um, i don 't have the skill set um, or the background to to run a management company property management company i just i don 't that level of detail i just i don't i don 't have it um, but he did he 'd been doing it for a decade or fifteen years or whatever so I kind of treated it like I was just a, an investor starting a new company or said hey i 'm going to fund this thing tell me what you need go go build it you 've got pretty wide latitude to do what you need And and dude, he, he works non still does works around the clock building this company. And so property management company gets up to, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40 employees. We're doing these, we do these quarterly awards where there's just like a room full of people dressed to the nines and we're giving out awards. And I'm like, this is amazing. Um, And then. You know, at this point in our growth, a couple of years in, he's really kind of proven himself. I'm reading – I was on vacation in uh, New Mexico with the family, and I'm reading this book called Traction from Gino Wickman who did like uh, EOS, uh, Entrepreneurial Operating System, all that stuff. And, you know, I, these books are – are you know the reality of it is never as clean as it's presented in these books. But this book presented this idea that you've got a visionary – which is a term that's so silly, but a visionary – and the um what's the term that they use for it in uh in traction integrator and it basically means you know you kind of got your guy that's your idea guy and in in a lot of cases the the check writer going out there and coming up with things to do and then you've got the operations person that's kind of nose to the grindstone executing this stuff day to day and and um so I had actually looked for about six months. I thought, we're going to bring in an integrator, and that's going to bring the company to the next level. And I thought, you know, I'm talking to different people that have hired it, hired consultants, this and that. And after six months of looking and refining this concept of the integrator, I thought, you know what? I think we have got him. I think we got him right here. And so I promoted him COO of all the companies, and um, he's, he's absolutely killed it. Now, he's not the guy that's got... Uh, private equity pedigree. And sometimes I'm breaking down stuff on, you know, on a $20 million loan and and this stuff that I'm teaching him how this works, right? He hasn't been doing this for 20 years. But the all the operation stuff, I mean, from the personality assessments on the hiring to managing teams to hiring people that are complimentary to work with each other, this stuff is like magic to me, you know, I sit back and look at it. And so, he runs, you know, he's that people leg of our company because I just don't have, um, I don't have that temperament or that, or, uh, you know, I I want to just go, I'm the, I'm the guy that will run over the hill first with the machine gun. And that's my skill set. I'll go, I'll go do that and build. And then I need to, I need to bring the, a team around me to kind of support that. So that was how it happened. It was very organic, all internal, ton of promotions for, for this guy and, 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 um, uh that's also extremely rewarding i mean i don't know what our yeah. payroll is every week or whatever but it's massive and to, so to be creating all these jobs and everything was something that i didn't anticipate being um something that i would be like really proud of and and really kind of a neat thing but i think part of that too is that i'm not in a lot of the day to day that would make me hate it like oh you know payroll there was this issue and we need to fix this it's like okay we got a person to to do that right um so and so quit. We've got to backfill this. Okay, we've got a team to kind of handle that. So, m- really, kind of on that side, more being an owner um, and not having to be as involved in the day to day. But the that's a long winded answer. I think the book Traction in that setup of visionary and integrator
1: marriage uh, was the framework that I used to build what we what we have now. Yeah, and that's no. I hear a, a lot of people talk about those books, and I got that in my short list to read. Cause that's been, um, you know, I've, I've heard that before and I mean, yeah, it's, and you've, uh, yeah, you've, this has been set up well over time. I mean, how you, I, I mean, and especially how, if you're able to, uh, focus on certain metrics that are actually important and not overburden everyone with too many, and then have, um, you know, end up surrounding yourself with good people. I mean, having just only one person report to you, that sounds pretty, that in your assistant that sounds pretty pretty appealing then you're freed up to do the deals raise the money like actually what you also like to do you know the having the management company is great that's going to help drive better operations drive returns but you know the day to day of like refining your turnover scope when you turn knock out a you know turning out a one bedroom uh you know that's that's not my favorite thing to do um Mm -hmm. sounds like it's not yours either but for some people they would they want to how can i make this better on the next one you know, and I, I do agree with that. It's just, that's not what I like to do either. I'd rather, you know, take down the next deal. So, yeah. What? Yeah, what is, let's uh, maybe one more thing then let's get it wrapping. But what, sure. Um. what do you, what does the acquisitions team look like? Cause then you still have the time freed up where you're, you're taking some of the broker calls. Uh, what's the acquisitions team look like? Yeah. So we have,
0: um, we have an analyst and we actually started my business partner, on apartment educators kind of that company that does the events and the, the coaching and stuff like that we started to get those those clients needed a lot of underwriting and transaction help so we started a brokerage said hey we're just going to start a brokerage just kind of focus on helping those folks do Deals and be a buyer rep broker. And you know what? We're going to use them too. So we kind of have like an outsource acquisitions team with the brokerage. So we've got an analyst and a couple of brokers and we want to grow that. And then my next move, I actually tried to hire somebody last quarter. I went kind of high end, experienced, expensive, um, lasted 90 days, didn't work out. So I'm head of acquisitions now for all the companies, which frankly, I do really enjoy. I mean, I think if I were to have a job, this would be it, but I also am uh, insatiable for growth and change. And you can't give me something and just say, go do this same thing for the next three years. Like, I, I, I'm i not wired that way. Um, so I'm looking at hiring an acquisitions associate now that will work with our brokerage, work with external brokers, work with, you know, keep just keeping that pipeline. And it's all through brokers. I mean, we don't really mess around the size of deals we do. We don't really mess around with. Sending mail to off market stuff. I mean, that, that's a whole other business. I'm sure there's plenty of margin to be had that route, but we just go off broker relationships. So I kind of wrangle all those cats right now. Um, we'll be putting a job posting out to bring somebody on for that role and they'll, you know, we kind of have a career path for them to grow to VP of acquisitions and dispositions on, you know, in a handful of years, there's a billion dollar assets under management company. Like, okay, that's a good career track for somebody yeah. to sink their teeth into, but that's kind of my goal. I love acquisitions and I'm good at it, but also recognize that I'm kind of currently the bottleneck in the company. Um, just cause you have to, as you know, you got to look at a lot of deals yeah, to get really- anything
1: done you really do and yeah and the bigger deals like you're talking about you're not it's hard to find you know anything like that just solely off market through a mailer or outsourcing like to like a cold caller like they're not it's like you're calling like me or you like if you're sound like you're um like at a call center about uh, buying your building you're never going to get anywhere so yeah um and even friends of mine so like you know let's say a
0: friend of mine uh, like we'll get a broker send us a deal hey uh you know Blah, 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 multifamilies for sale. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's Dave's deal, right? Yeah, yeah, that's Dave's deal. It's like, well, I'm, I'm friends with Dave. I play golf with him, we, you know, our kids are friends or whatever, but he's still going to go through the broker because I'm, I'm not the only buyer. Maybe they want to shop it nationally, you know? Um, he's trying to do the best for his investors. And a lot of times that's taking it to a broker and shopping it to the world and show me the best offer. So even those relationships I have, where an owner of a 300 unit multifamily in San Antonio would say, yeah, for sure. I know Devin can close and I, for sure, but somebody else might give me 500 grand more for that deal and love you, man, but I'm going to take this to market or, or go through a broker and have them run their process. And so, you know, even if you have those relationships, I think it still just
1: goes through brokers, which, um, is great. That makes it kind of, kind of easier for everybody. Yeah. No, it makes, yeah, makes a lot of sense. And then as far as KPIs, I mean, then how, how would you, you're, you're tracking just the amount of deals that come in or you got to make it through different stages. So there's a number to come in, then a number that actually gets offered on, or how do you, how are you measuring that? Yeah, we have a whole dashboard set up in our, in our CRM. And so
0: um basically on the acquisition side, when a deal, let's say you send me a, a deal for Whatever your broker or your you somebody that works on my brokerage just a deal hits an inbox that goes to my assistant it fires off a task, which is you know do all this stuff, do preliminary underwriting link all this stuff, set up all the folders there's you know probably 30 minutes of kind of work that needs to happen to kind of set everything up. So that it goes in our pipeline and then underwrite that. So our KPIs are underwrite the deal, whether that's somebody on our team doing it or somebody, you know, sending us underwriting and, uh, and me reviewing it. It's basically review underwriting. So we're looking at how many underwriting reviews did we look at today or this week? And then it's how many offers went out. And then it's once we've got LOIs out, it's how much capital. Um, do we have on our contract and what do we have closing kind of this quarter? And we, we get acquisition fees on, uh, pretty much all our deals. So we're looking at, all right, we've got how many offers or how many deals we look at, how many offers we make, what do we have on our contract and what is that going to translate to revenue this quarter? And what's, you know, what's basically going to, uh, out of option period, like pretty high certainty of close, Gonna happen. So on the acquisition side, we just kind of look at that. And, you know, I've got, if I look at my acquisition pipe, so I present to my team every week as the a- head of acquisitions. All right, guys, I've got 25 deals in my pipeline. You know, this one's fluff. This one's in a holding pattern. This one, you know, actually under contract on. And that's what I, I want to hire somebody to kind of learn that and Do run that, that cuz it is it's it, it's a lot of cycles and a lot of work but we kind of have back to the CRM we have it kind of automated to where something comes in mm-hmm. boom it assigns a task to the teams and we all just kind of chop away at it and then the name of the game is just more top of funnel stuff you know we want to be looking at 40 or 50 deals in the pipeline across retail multifamily industrial mm-hmm. land um and just just keep the top of the pipeline full like, like any, like any business, but pretty simple KPIs. Yeah. You know, what, how many, how many things do we look at? How many offers
1: went out? What's under contract? What's closing this quarter? And and you want to be looking at 40 or 50 deals at a given time. Like if you look at how many do I have in all the stages, like that's sort of like the, one of the main things you're looking at. Yeah. Right now. I'd, I'd say we're probably like around 20,
0: 25. And that's, that's cause me, that's cause I'm in charge of it. And I also do a billion
1: other things. And just, it's it's a job
0: it's a full-time also job and also the
1: velocity of just activity is way down there's just way less listings yes. there's way there's less coming out uh you know uh, i would oh right like inbox, the market yeah. for sure
0: yeah that's why we're yeah. looking at different asset classes and stuff I and mean, if we we're just looking at multifamily, it's it's a handful of deals it's definitely not 20.
1: yeah and then where would you be getting if if you guys didn't underwrite it yourself where would you be getting deals that were already underwritten that would be from like a student who'd want to partner up or
0: yeah, we don't really do much of that, but um, we have the analyst that works for our brokerage that does most of it. Um, okay. Sometimes we'll have a um, – we use a loan broker on most of our stuff, like a capital markets um, team, and they, they have their own underwriting too, and they're going to underwrite it, and they know what the bank's looking for. And so you know that would be a case too where we get a deal – kick it over to the loan broker to underwrite. They provide us some preliminary underwriting and then we can review that. But I definitely am not, um, you know, underwriting anything. It's yeah. for,
1: for each time at this point. Yeah, no, I figured, but then if you have just a single analyst, like I could see how they could get filled up. If you got, a, if you're looking at 40 deals at once. For sure. So, for sure. We're nice definitely, stuff. we're bottlenecked there, which is why I want to bring on that acquisitions associate person. Yeah. Kind of the those next. are expense. Those are expensive people. You know, it's interesting oh, yeah. business where, uh, you know, the, uh, the most money's made in the acquisitions, you know? So then that's, um, you know, also becomes the hardest to hire for it feels like, cause some of those people are like the rock stars or the divas of the company. It turns out to be too, you know, <laughs> like where, you know, they feel like they're, uh, the why it's growing and, you know, don't. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. So. Um, yeah, there's, there's, we kind of joke about
0: that when I, when we had that acquisition person that didn't work out and I said, I was stepping into that role. There was, uh, I think there was a scene from Horrible Bosses where Kevin Spacey takes the VP of Sales role yeah. and uh like doubles his salary or something and gets a bigger office and so that yeah. <laughs> they were calling me that for for a little while. Uh so I I think I'm probably the diva right now, but I'm looking I'm looking for that next person to and I think the thought process go maybe a little more junior where I can kind of teach them and they've got they don't have all the responsibility, but in 3 years they might have all the responsibility, you know, and they and they'll have to kind of work up through that. So I think I think I could give away you know sixty percent of the work that I'm doing and have somebody in the chair every day chipping away at it that would right. be pretty effective for the company and then over time kind of grow into that you know that acquisition's leader because um, it it's, it's a tough one. It'd be tough to transplant somebody from another organization, and I'm looking at it a little differently now over hey let's say a three year horizon I could could grow somebody into that role.
1: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I mean, those, the jobs I had, it was that role, you know, where it was at a larger company doing that. And then, uh, and so, but yeah, they didn't, you know, in my first year, I wasn't doing every part of it. I would, you know, starting at the basic task underwriting. And then over time you work up a little and can call the brokers or the attorneys and keep, you know, keep moving. So, but great. Yeah, this was really, really great. Devon, appreciate you being on. So, I mean, that's really great diving in. I mean, got into a lot of detail on how you're you're doing things, so appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. I, I enjoy it. I love I love being a guest, uh, host a podcast too, and that's fun. And
0: I appreciate you coming on ours a, a little while back. But um, love love talking shop. So thanks for the opportunity.
1: Yeah. How do people get in touch with you? Tell them else about the you know your website for the company, the apartment, uh, education, uh, everything. Let's. How do they hear about it?
0: yeah i think the, the catch-all is our website Djetexas.com, texas.com delta juliet echo texas.com and you know if you go we kind of have a minim- minimalist site design but you can look at investment stuff you can look at our 501c3 that we have you can look at our um, apartment educators program
1: it's all kind of that's kind of the starting point of all of it awesome i appreciate it yeah thanks for being on Devin drew
0: i really enjoyed it man it's good catching up
1: if you learned something from today's show, leave a review and hit that subscribe button wherever you enjoy your podcast. Dive deeper into real estate investing on Brenneman Capital's website, brenneman.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Accredited investors can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the invest now button on our website.
0: The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Brenneman Capital LLC and its subsidiaries. Views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities. The speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.